Thankful for the continued stories of how God stirs us to worship the one true God. And you hear each week as we've been starting those videos, they're reading Deuteronomy 6, because that's where we started this whole series on worship. For our vision for this year, we want to worship God, so we have to understand who He is. And if you've been saying, I'm really looking forward to like the application of what worship looks like on my day-to-day life, we are getting there, I promise you. Uh, this is the last Sunday where we're looking at the Trinity, we're looking at the Spirit, we're going to be in John chapter 14 and in John chapter 16, so if you want to go ahead and make your way there, we'll be there. And uh, if you are a guest here with us, we're so thankful that you're here worshiping with us today, or if you're tuning, on, tuning in online, uh, welcome. We hope to meet you face-to-face in the weeks ahead. Now, this series has been a, a, a great series for us. It's very foundational because we want to rightly worship the right God. And as we look at this, it's, once again, easy to define the Trinity. It's a lot harder to understand the complexities of the Trinity. But I hope that as we've looked at the love of the Father two weeks ago, we've looked at the grace of the Son, and today we're going to look at the help of the Spirit, that this does help you have a greater understanding of the beautiful God who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Now, as we talk about the Spirit today, what I want us to do is I actually want to start very broad again. I want to actually share with you the kind of the story of the Bible And as we do that, we're going to see the Spirit trace through the Old Testament into the New Testament. So we're going to go broad, and then we'll move real streamlined to listening to the words of Christ from John 14 and John 16 about what the role of the Spirit is. So you're not going to see all these verses on the screen. There are a lot of them that I'm going to mention, so write fast, or you can get on um, Apple Podcasts later and listen back to it. But I just want you to have a grasp of of a broader picture of the Spirit throughout the history of time. Now, the Hebrew word, which is what the primar- primarily the Old Testament is written in, Hebrew word for the Spirit is ruhah. So if you're looking for a fun word to say, it sounds like you're sneezing, right? Ruhah. It's the uh, same word that's used for wind or for breath in the Old Testament. So when they would talk about Spirit, they very closely connected that to the air that we breathe or the wind that you would feel. Now, the reason why that matters is because they attached it to life. Life. Like, at that time, if you saw somebody laying on the ground and you were wondering if they were alive, they didn't come up and, like, check your pulse. They would come up to listen to your ruha, your your breath. They would see if they could feel your breath or hear you breathing. It's closely connected, this spirit, to life. And rightfully so, because if you go all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 When God creates humanity, it says this, then the Lord formed man of dust. That's important. We'll get to that in a second. Formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It's ruha. And man became a living creature. Now, this is unique. God did not do this with any other part of creation. He did not do this with any other animal. He didn't breathe life or breathe spirit into cows or dogs or cats. He only breathed it into humanity through his spirit. Now, don't miss the poetry here. According to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, what is man? We are dust and we are the spirit. We're dust and we're spirit. 
And that's what makes the great tragedy of, he, of Genesis chapter 3 so sad. See, we as humanity, we rebel against God, and our sin wasn't just a breaking of a rule. It was a breaking of a relationship between us and God. So we sin, and the relationship is broken, and we didn't just break a relationship. It broke us as human beings. So when you get to Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of sin, after the rebellion has happened, God is telling them the consequences of this. And in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 3, it says this, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Did you hear what's missing between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3? We are dust and the Spirit of God breathes life into us. And then when we have sinned and broke faith with God and broke this relationship, now we're just dust. We're just dust. We're alive, but not really alive. We're alive enough to, to work jobs and to, to make enough to, to eat something. And it's exhausting, it's tiring, we're, we're wearied. So we're alive, but we're not living the abundant life for dust to dust. Now, why that matters is because what you'll see is as you continue through the, the book of Genesis, actually into the next chapter, where it starts to give these like lineages, this, the names of different people. If you've tried to read through the Bible in a year or even try to read through Genesis, these are like chapters we skip over, right? Let's just like go quickly to the next chapter. But it keeps talking about this person lived and then they died. And then this person lived and then they died. And this person lived, and then they died. It's this whole picture of the spirit is gone, and from dust to dust. But the Old Testament, God sends these, these prophets to give us this hope, this hope that, that one day the spirit would return again. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 says this, speaking of the one who would come and bring the spirit. It says, there shall come, therefore, a shoot from the stump of Jesse. We don't have time to get into all of that, but that's once again a, a promise that God had made that the ultimate king would come from the line of Jesse. It says, a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord will rest on him, the Ruhah, the spirit. Isaiah is promising that the breath of life would come again. We lost it in the garden, but there would be one who would bring, who would come in that spirit and bring it again. Isaiah 42 verse 1 says this, behold, my servant who I will uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to all nations. Isaiah 32, verse 15. It's interesting, Isaiah 32, it talks about this world. He calls it basically a, a wasteland, that people are thirsty in a dry and weary land. They're in a desert, and they need something to drink. And Isaiah, in Isaiah 32, says, until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, 
When that happens, this wilderness will become a fruitful field. A fruitful field where there used to be nothing. The Spirit comes. This is the hope. This is the joy that we have. This is the promise that we're seeing throughout the prophets. That one day, this, this breath of life would come back to us again. You get to the book of Ezekiel, which I know all of y'all have read it. You've probably memorized it. You know it well. I know it's a difficult book to read, but you get to Ezekiel 36, and God uh, makes this interesting promise to the prophet for the people of God to hear. And he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and carefully obey my rules. And then, one chapter later in Ezekiel 37, there's this really weird and yet wonderful uh, story that happens where God uh, takes Ezekiel out to this kind of field and he says, I want you to look out there and what do you see? He's like, I see all these like bones. And he's like, Ezekiel, do you think that these bones can like have life? Do you think these, these bones can, can breathe again? And I love Ezekiel's response because it's a great answer. He's like, God, you know, <laughs> like I don't know the answer to that, but anytime you're taking a test, if a teacher asks you a question, well, like you know, right? And that's what Ezekiel does. God, you know. And this is what God says to him. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. You shall, I shall cause flesh to come upon you and cover your skin and put breath in you, ruha, spirit. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. God is promising his people that the spirit is going to come again. This life that we have lost will one day come back to us again. This is the hope of the whole Old Testament, that the Spirit would come. And so that promise is made through multiple prophets, and then hundreds of years pass. Hundreds of years of silence from God happen. And then you see Jesus walking onto the scene in Luke chapter 4. When he goes in to teach in the temple, it's interesting, he opens up the scroll And he starts to read, and the first passage he reads is Isaiah 61. And Jesus reads, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And after Jesus reads that, he says to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus is saying is, I'm the one, that that promised root of Jesse, who would have the Spirit, I'm him. I'm here on the scene. What what Isaiah had had promised, it's here. It's right before you. It's been fulfilled. And Jesus lives this Spirit-filled life, this perfect life, keeping all of the commands of God. And then he goes to the cross and he dies for our sins and he's risen from the grave by the Spirit of God. And then in John chapter 20, he shows up and he's talking to his disciples. And it's really interesting because once again, it's weird and wonderful at the same time, okay? That's a lot of what we see in the Bible. Some things that are a little confusing, a little odd, and yet when we slow down to understand the big picture, it's, it's wonderful. And in John chapter 20, when Jesus shows up and he's talking to his disciples, Verse 22 tells us, he breathed on them. Which is weird, right? 
Like Jesus just walks up and he breathes on them. And then it says, and they received the Holy Spirit. Weird but wonderful. What Jesus is doing is he's pointing back to the to Genesis. Chapter 1, as God breathed life into his creation, now as he has paid our penalty on the cross for all who would confess their sins and repent, now as he's defeated death, he comes back again and he breathes life into his disciples. The Spirit comes to give life. The relationship that was broken through rebellion, Jesus is the one who makes the way for God to dwell with us again. This is the beauty. This is the, 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 the kind of broad spectrum of the spirit that Jesus would give us that spirit. Now, in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, the context of it is that Jesus is telling the disciples that I am about to go to the cross. I'm about to die and I'm going to go to the grave. But the hope is this, that the spirit is going to come. And so in the midst of all this like weightiness and trouble within the disciples' hearts, hearing that Jesus is going to die, Jesus reminds them that a helper is going to come. So you guys follow along in this passage as Jesus is going to go real narrow now for what the Spirit is going to do for you and I as life comes to our souls. Chapter, or chapter 14, verse 25, this is what it says. Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now turn over to chapter 16 and pick up in verse 7. Jesus still teaching says, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare it to you, the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning asking that you would help us to understand uh, more of you today. And we know that we understand who you are through your word, and so God, illuminate our minds that we would grasp and understand it. Lord, we need your conviction God, we need your guidance. We, we want to glorify Christ, and we know, Spirit, that that is one of your roles. So, Lord, allow us to hear your word, to respond to your word, and to worship you today with all of our heart, all of our soul, 
and with all of our might. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, as we, we talk about the Spirit, we start to unpack a little bit more of the role of the Spirit and the details of the Spirit's Spirit work in our life. This is interesting because there's a vast misunderstanding, I think, as a whole when we think about the Trinity. Because what we do is we tend to think of like God the Father as like the, the angry, mean one in heaven, right? And then Jesus is like this tender, loving part of the, the Trinity. He's just loving. And then the Spirit, he's the weird one, right? He's the weird one. Like, I don't quite get that. Like, I'm good with the Father and the Son, but you're talking about the Spirit. Like, what in the world? And that's just not a biblical picture of the Bible. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is describing the, the, the Spirit to us. And he doesn't say, the weird one is coming. No, the word he uses is that the Helper is coming. The helper is here. Now, this isn't the only time that Jesus uses this word for helper. We, we read it in this text, but if you go back a little bit further in John 14, you'll see in verse 16, he calls the Holy Spirit the helper. Chapter 15, verse 26, the passage that we read, you see that he is the helper. And then in chapter 16, verse 7, you see Jesus use it again. He is the helper. Now, your Bible might have different translations for that. Some of y'all are reading it and you're like, Ryan, I don't see helper in here. Like, what are you talking about, helper? Sometimes you see it translated that he's an advocate for us. Or maybe your Bible says he's a comforter or he's the strengthener. He's an encourager. Like, all those are different terms that, that we've tried to translate what Jesus is saying here because we're trying to have an understanding of what Jesus is communicating. And anytime you see uh, a, a word that's translated kind of five different ways through different translations, it's because our English words struggle to bear the weight of, of, and the freight of what this word means. And all these are true. Yes, there's a sense that the Spirit's an advocate for us. He's a comforter. He does strengthen us. He encourages us. Absolutely. But this literal word in the, the Greek, which the New Testament's written in, it, for, for helper, is paraclete. Para meaning... Beside and cleat to call along. So what it means when Jesus is using this word helper or paraclete, it's not somebody that goes in front of you and is like, come on, come on, you got to hurry up, let's go. Nor is it the spirit that comes behind you with a stick and it's prodding you to go forward, like get, keep moving. You got to keep going, you got to keep going. That's not it. He's the helper, he's the paraclete that comes alongside of us and is like, let's go. Together we do this. Together, somebody that walks alongside with you. He is our helper. Now, the, the implication that he's our helper means that we need help. And some of you are like, amen, yes, we do. We, we greatly need help, right? And Jesus, in the passage that I read, is going to show us how the Spirit helps us. And the first way is he's the helper who brings remembrance, He's the helper that brings remembrance. In verse 26 of chapter 14, he says he'll teach you all these things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. When we hear God's word or we, we read God's word throughout the, the week and there's a light bulb that comes on in our mind, this is a miraculous moment. This is the spirit stirring in us. 
This is the Spirit working in our hearts and our lives. Jesus is telling us right here that this, the Spirit is going to come. He's going to help us understand and remember the Word of God. You see, the, the real preacher here at West Bears Church is not me. It's not Brandon. It's not Charlie. It's not David. It's the Holy Spirit that brings to our minds remembrance. It's the one who teaches us the truths of God. He's the one that stirs in us. And I know we come here week in and week out and we hear some things, we remember some things, we forget some things. We need to pause and realize that though this might seem mundane, this is really miraculous. Jesus is telling us that the Spirit is the one that's working in our hearts to help us understand all of these things. He's the one that's helping us to to learn and grasp. So if you get anything from God's Word this morning, it is because the Spirit has allowed you to see it and understand it. It's not because of great communication. It's because of a great helper, a great Spirit. So don't look at this mundane and just think, eh, it's no big deal. No, it is a miraculous thing that we would understand the truths of God. But at the same time, this this promise that He's going to bring to our mind remembrance when when we are tempted to, to move into a, a depressed state, or we are tempted to give into a certain sin, and we are tempted, the helper comes and brings to our minds the truth of God. This is what he does. He helps us, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout our week. Just like that video we heard earlier. He guides us and he leads us. I mean, if you think about it, even what we are reading right here is a picture of what the Holy Spirit is doing. John wrote these words, the Apostle John wrote these words roughly 50 years after Jesus. And as he wrote these words, what's happened is the Holy Spirit's bringing to mind remembrance of the things Jesus taught and the things that Jesus said, and he's writing them down. So what we are reading right now is a fulfillment of what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us to remember the Word of God. He helps us to understand the truths of God. He's our helper. He's also our helper who gives us peace. Verse 27 of John 14 shows us this. Right after he's talking about the helper and he's going to bring these things to remembrance in our mind, he says, my peace that I give to you, that is closely connected to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is meant to bring peace to our lives. This is what he's promising us. This is what he's offering us. Now, the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about here is different from any kind of peace the world has to offer. This is a divine peace that Jesus is promising us. It's the the peace of the Spirit, the second person of the Trinity. You see, this is a divine peace because first and foremost, this is a peace that he gives us with God, God Almighty. Romans, the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, Paul writes and he says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So we have been justified by faith and now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, I've gone to the cross and I've died for your sins and now because of that, the Spirit comes in and dwells with you and brings peace that remains. Peace that stays with you forever. And that's another way that this is a divine peace. It's because it's a peace that is steadfast, that doesn't move, that isn't shaken. It's a peace that is constant. See, the world's peace is uh, intermittent peace. 
The world's peace is based on circumstances. Like, well, a really attractive person asked me out, and so there's a sense of joy in that moment. Or you got a raise, or you got a promotion. These things are the things the world's peace is based on. But even the most durable of them are like bubbles on top of water. They're gone in an instant. But Christian peace is based on what? It's based on the Spirit. It's based on Jesus Christ giving us this gift of peace. Psalm 46 talks about that God is our refuge and our strength. That he's our ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains fall into the sea, we still have a refuge, we still have a peace. So when the mountains of our our life are cast in the midst of the sea, when we have lost a job, or we have lost a loved one, we have lost our, our livelihood, when we have lost a spouse, all of those things feel like they were solid for us, they were mountains for us, and now they've been moved to the seas. And the Spirit is there. The Spirit is there offering us a forever peace. The peace of the world is fragile, but Christ's peace is firm and forever. And let me tell you what will wear you out, will exhaust you, is trying to pursue the world's peace. Trying to find peace in everything this world has to offer apart from Christ will exhaust you. It will wear you out because you have to manufacture all of these circumstances on, in your life over and over and over again in order to keep that peace in your life. So you're like, I've got to make a, a, another trip that's going to bring more joy and more excitement to my life. And I love vacations too. They're great. But when you finish them, there's always, I've got to have something more. So you work and work and work again. Or I got this bonus or I got this comment. I've got to work in such a way that I get more encouragement spoken to me. And all these things that we try to find peace in are like those bubbles on the water that just pop and they go away. So if we spend our life pursuing all these things, we will be exhausted But Jesus tells us that he sends us a helper who is constantly with us, who helps us through all of these anxieties that we would bear, all these things we try to work through that we're weary and exhausted. He's like, no, come to me, those of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 describes it like this, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How does he do that? How does he guard our hearts and our minds in this peace? It's through the Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit. So yes, he he gives us this peace. Yes, he brings to our mind remembrance of his word. But the helper also prompts us with conviction. This is the third point. And this moves us to John 16, where Jesus is still teaching. And he says in verse 8 that the spirit brings conviction. He brings conviction to our life. It brings conviction to this world. So if you've ever heard the truth of God and it's kind of pricked your heart, 
and you're like, oh, that kind of stings a little bit, that hurts, or he's kind of stirred your heart in such a way you're like, I've got to respond to that. That is the movement of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means when it says conviction here. And this is supposed to be a good thing. Remember, the, the Spirit is meant to be our helper. So don't read stuff like this and be like, he convicts me. Oh, that's terrible. Like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want that feeling. Like, no. If the Spirit is convicting you, it is for your good. It is to help you. It is to encourage you and comfort you and strengthen you. He loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you right where you are. So the Spirit convicts us to change us. Now, notice he uses the word convict and not condemn. The the Spirit is not condemning you. He will prick your heart so that you will change. There's a massive difference between conviction and condemnation. See this picture on the screen here? Uh, this, this word for condemn, this is a construction word in the Bible where it means unfit for use. And so you put a sign like this on a building, this is condemned. This building is unfit for use. You can't use it. And the Spirit of God says, no, 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 that's not what I'm preaching. That's not what I'm saying. No, I'm convicting you because I want to come and dwell in you. I want to, to use you for the glory of God. He's not bringing condemnation. He's bringing conviction so that we would change. And the book of Acts tells us that this conviction brings refreshment to our souls. And so what the enemy would whisper is like, God could never use you. You could never do anything important for him. (laughs) Share the gospel with somebody? You're struggling to believe the gospel. How are you going to share it with somebody? And, And we'll condemn you, say you're unfit for use. And the spirit is saying, no, 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 no. I convict you so that I dwell in you. You're not unfit for use. No, you're, you're perfect for use. You're the perfect kind of person that God would want to use, and he places his spirit in you so that you could glorify him. And this is what the spirit does. Jesus uses many descriptions of what this conviction looks like in verse 8. He says he convicts of sin. Now, it says, because they don't believe in him. See, Jesus is going to convict you to place your faith in him, because there's some that don't believe in him. And the war and the tension is between sin and salvation. And the Spirit comes in and convicts us of our sins. Not just that, hey, we're, we, we, we need to kind of manage our money a little bit better, because I'm not doing a good job with that. No, the Spirit will come in and say, no, 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 no. We, we're greedy. And we need forgiveness of that greed. Or, I, I, I struggle to tell the truth, and the Spirit's like, no, 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 you don't just struggle to tell the truth. Like, in your heart, you're a liar, and you need the Spirit to cleanse you from those things. That's what he's talking about. He convicts us of those things. Not just the, the fruit on the tree of our sinfulness, but what the root is. There's something deep there that we need change in, and that's what the Spirit does. He shows us the root of our problems to change that. He says he also convicts of righteousness. Uh, it's interesting Jesus just said that there's no way to the Father except through me. So Jesus has spoken. And yet, what's going to happen is some people are going to say, I can work to the Father through my righteousness. And Jesus is like, nope, I've already gone to the Father. I'm going to convict you that there's no amount of righteousness that's going to get you there. So some of you have even tried to live righteous lives before the Lord, and you still have this, this turmoil within you and this guilt and this shame because you can't work your way up to God. That's why God came down. That's why God came in to dwell with us. And then Jesus says he'll also convict you of judgment. 
And this is the fact that judgment is coming. He's saying, I'm going to bring judgment on this ruler of this world. That's the, the adversary, the accuser, Satan. But we also know that multiple times Jesus taught, he spoke about that there's a day of judgment that is coming for every single person. Every single person. That we will give an account for how we live our lives. And there's a sense of fear that hits us, right? There's a sense of fear that we stand there solo. There's nobody there with us. We're there between us and the holy God. We'll give an account for how we lived our lives. And this could be a fearful thing for us. And Jesus is saying, the Spirit places that conviction in you so it changes the way you live now. Changes the way you live from living for yourself to worshiping God. This is what he does. Jesus says the Spirit will come and convict your heart. For some of us, the Spirit's been convicting our heart, not just today, but you can think over the last weeks and months, like he's been convicting your heart, and Jesus is like, yeah, that's the Spirit at work in you. He's not done with you. He's not condemning you. He's convicting you in order that you would come to him and find salvation through the cross of Christ. I would plead with you. If the Spirit is stirring your heart, respond to him today. We cannot do it apart from him. He is our helper. We need his help. He will guide us to, to the truth that we need for our souls. That's the fourth thing that Jesus tells us the Spirit does. He's the helper who guides us to truth. He guides us into all truth. John 16, 13 tells us that. This is an amazing gift. The world will whisper confusions and lies and questions about yourself and this life and this world, but the Spirit is speaking truth and leading us to this truth of clarity and purpose. This is what he's doing. There's a, there's a purpose for what the Spirit is teaching you and reminding you of and convicting you of. He's guiding you to truth. And I've had people all throughout my, my time in ministry always say, how do I know the, 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 the voice of the Spirit? Whether the Spirit is actually leading me or it's kind of just like a feeling of something I ate. I ate a hot dog last night. There's indigestion in there. Or, you know, like how do I know the Spirit of, or the voice of the Spirit instead of just the world or my own thoughts guiding me. Well, see, the Spirit leads us to truth, and God's Word is truth. Second Peter actually tells us that the Spirit is the one that inspired this Word. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, for there is no prophecy that's ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will always, always, always be consistent with the Word of God. So if you're asking, how do I know if the Spirit's leading me? Then know the Word of the Spirit. He's going to guide you in this truth. This is why we say all the time, read God's Word, memorize God's Word, meditate on God's Word. Because the Spirit is going to guide you into this truth. He's going to give you understanding to that. And some of you might be sitting here thinking, I've tried, right? Like, I've, like, opened it up, and, like, it's just hard to read. The very first thing you should do when you open the Word of God, whenever you're reading it, is to pray, Spirit, would you help me understand this? Would you help me understand this? Would you open up my eyes that I would see your truth and rightly understand it? That's why almost every Sunday in here, I give you just a little bit of time to pray to God to say, God, help me to understand your word and apply your word. This is something that we shouldn't be doing just in this room, but through all our lives, the Spirit will guide us into all truth 
So if you want to know God's will for your life, then know God's word. And in knowing his word, you will find his will. The last thing that the Spirit does for us, according to Jesus, is he's the helper who points us to Christ. He's the helper that points us to Christ. And this is extremely important. Extremely important. Because there's a lot of confusion, uh, kind of in church world and in Christian life, over like where the Holy Spirit fits in all this kind of stuff. And I've had people say, like, we need to just talk about the Spirit more. Like, we need to highlight the Spirit and talk about the Spirit. And, and when you come to the words of Christ, this is what he says in verse 14. The Spirit, he will glorify me. And if you go earlier in John chapter 16, he says the Spirit will bear witness of me. You see, I love how J.I. Packard, a theologian, describes and talks about the Trinity. He says, or talks about the Holy Spirit. He says he's the, the shy one of the Trinity. Where he's kind of the, the person there with the, the spotlight. And he's shining it down on Christ to glorify him. He's shining that light saying, everybody look there. Look there. And so if you want to know whether or not your, your church is a spirit-filled church, is, is are they glorifying Christ? Are they praising Christ? Are they lifting high the name of Christ? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't take that spotlight and then turn it around and shine it straight in his face and be like, hey, everybody look at me. No. Jesus is saying that spirit shines the light on me and he glorifies me. He bears witness of me. He shares the truth about me. He brings my words in remembrance to you. This is what the Spirit does. He points us to Christ. And sadly, oftentimes we try to make the Holy Spirit all about us. The gifts that the Holy Spirit brings, and we don't have time to unpack those, the Holy Spirit does give us gifts. If you're a believer, you have at least one gift of the Spirit. And he calls us to use those to glorify Christ. And yet, so often we just focus just on these gifts. And I'm thankful for those tests that can help you understand those things. But living it out and sharing those gifts within the church are really going to know how the Holy Spirit has gifted you. But he does that in order to build people up, to look to Christ, to be encouraged by the truth of Christ. And so may we not look and just say, what are all the gifts that he gives me and let's focus on me? No, the Spirit's saying, no, 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 use these gifts to glorify God, to worship Jesus. This is why I've given you these gifts. This is why I've equipped you. See, the primary role of the Spirit is not signs and wonders, but to point people to Jesus and then to make people more like Jesus. I believe the reason why the Spirit continues to point us to Christ is because he knows apart from Christ and the cross of Christ, we could never even have the Spirit. We could never have the Helper. We could never enjoy it. You see, the, the cross does far, far more than just bring forgiveness in our lives. To say that the, the cross is only about forgiveness of our sins would be like saying uh, marriage is only about me getting rid of the title single. Like if you told me that the whole point and the purpose of marriage is to just get rid of that title of single and that's whatever the stigma would be behind that, then, then I would worry for your marriage. <laughs> See, marriage is about a relationship, right? It's about a relationship. And the cross of Christ is breaking down those barriers of our sins so that we can have a relationship, so that the Spirit could dwell in us, so that we could listen to the Spirit and respond to the truth of the Spirit from the truth of God's Word. 
home. This is what Christ is doing. He is breaking down the barriers of our sin and wiping those away, paving the way that the Spirit could be with us so that we can have a relationship with Him, with God, in a very real and personal way, both now and for all of eternity. And so when we started, we talked about all these passages of the promised Spirit. Hundreds of years, people had hoped for this Spirit to come. And Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, is the one who brings the Spirit to us. So all glory be to God for his goodness. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross that leads us to a relationship. We didn't just break some rules. We broke a relationship. And you, Jesus, said that no one comes to the Father except through you. So we need you. You are the one that's made it possible for us to know the Father. And Christ, also through the cross, you've removed the barriers of our sin and our shame and our transgressions in order to build a relationship with the Spirit. We know that that all comes from you, Christ. So we thank you. We thank you for the gift of this relationship. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit that comes to all who believe who all confess their sins when the Holy Spirit has convicted them. And when we respond in that way, we get that life breathed back into us. Not just for today, but for all of eternity. That that spirit of life would rest, that we could live the abundant life that you promised Christ. So Lord, would you help us? Would you be our helper? Not just now as we sing and worship you, but Lord, this week, would you guide us into truth? Would you bring the peace that our heart so desperately needs and long for? God, would you help us to worship Christ? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church family, let's stand now and let's sing to Christ.